What's up everybody, it's Dan from Binder Boneyard coming at you from the uh, office desk of Doom. Like always, um, it is a blustery fall day here in Central Oregon. It, uh, after work, it's about 5.30 right now, uh, it was payday for the guys so of course they skedaddled and uh, had to get to the bank and do all that shit. So. Um, Figured I'd burn out a couple of podcasts, so today's going to be a real barn burner. Uh, we're talking about transfer cases. Uh, might talk a little transmission talk, but uh, yeah, transfer cases. Um, so first of all, thank you everyone that uh, is continuing to follow along and listen and donate Patreon and all that. Um, trying to get back on track here. Uh, we've just been so friggin busy trying to catch up now that we actually have a fully functioning workspace again we are just so far behind so um trying to get back in the swing of everything and uh so i appreciate uh, everybody that's listening um thank you um and yeah like i said let me know what you want to hear let me know what uh what you got for ideas and whatnot um you know otherwise you're just going to get the same drone every <laughs> week for you know topics over and over so um yeah let me know what you uh what you want to hear and things you want to hear me talk about transfer cases so uh, early scouts uh 80s and into the 800s uh 61 to about 66 um you had the spicer 18 which was a twin stick, um, you know, gear drive, all cast iron transfer case. The front and rear outputs were both on the passenger side. The They shared the same output shaft, which is great for manufacturing and uh, sounds amazing on paper, but... It is not good for strength uh, in the long run because you're putting all of the load on that one shaft. And uh, if you have open differentials and small tires and you know 45 horsepower, probably going to be okay. But if you are running, um, you know, any kind of traction aid and more horsepower and weight and whatnot, it proves to be problematic um i will say that my old 63 with the uh it had 37s and long travel springs and um it had a wide ratio spicer 18 and it also had the four cylinder still but anyways i was running 37s lockers on both ends the whole nine yards and uh, i was running the spicer 18 because I had kind of, I kind of ran out of money on that one. <laughs> and so the transfer case ended up just being what I had. And um, that Spicer 18 has a decent low range. Uh, it's like 243 to 1, uh, which is, is respectable. Uh, considering like a 205 is 1.96 to 1. Uh, Dana 20 is 2.03 to 1. So the Spicer 18 at 2.43 
is a good uh, inter- intermediate. You know, Dana 300 is 2.6. It's like 2.6. Uh, just space it on the Dana 300. But it's 2.6 something. 2.62 or 2.64. Um, and then like a 231, like a chain drive planetary case, like a 231 or a 241C. Um, they are 2.72 to 1. So they're getting pretty deep in their low ranges. Um, anyway, the respectable low range of the Spicer 18 is 2.43. And, um, you know, with a wide ratio 18 in front of it, that was, you know, 6.3 to 1 first gear. And 5.13s in the axles. It crawled pretty good. Um, and But I never broke the transfer case output on that. It was stock. It was the same transfer case that came in it in 1963. I never rebuilt it. I never did anything. I just changed the oil in it once and uh, and ran it. So it was pretty sturdy for that. But I do know guys that have broken those outputs. And when you break one or the you know the front or the rear, which is it shares the same shaft, it just the whole you're stranded essentially. So, um, in 67, they came out with the Dana 20, which is also a twin stick in 67. Um, but it's a, it's a Dana 20, so it has a centered rear output. Uh, and then of course the offset, uh, front output, uh, it has a low range of 2.03. So it lost a little bit in the uh, low range department. Um, and, uh, so I don't know if anybody really noticed it or not, but, um, the guys that are using them off-road definitely noticed. Um, and then in 68, they went to the single stick Dana 20 and, uh, and then it was single stick 20 all the way until 1979. But, uh, the, the stick operation and people get confused about, because there's they they're operating differently in the 18s you know the one stick was in and out and the other stick is high and low so you you can't shift one without the other um so it's kind of uh i don't know you can do i'm trying to remember you can do rear low with that um, with that setup, but you have to uh, you have to be mindful of what you know the shifting that you're doing. Um, the, there's stickers all over the dash of the '80s or on the door frames that say you know don't use two wheel drive low uh, or don't do it with your hubs unlocked because you know damage will occur and. I don't know. I've never broke anything in two-wheel drive low, uh, but it sure is handy for, you know, moving your boat around or backing a trailer up or anything like that. To have that extra gear ratio is just, um, it's nice. It's nice having low gears in two-wheel drive when you're just moving around your driveway or or whatever. So um, there's the old wives' tales about, uh, you know, blowing up ring and pinions in low range and I just don't buy it. I really don't. Uh, I've done this shit for so long um, that, you know, 
Now, if you're in four-wheel drive, you know, if you got it, if you're in low range four wheel drive and you got the hubs locked in and you're trying to tootle around your your driveway, yes, you're gonna put a lot of stress on stuff. And if it's already weakened from age or neglect, then uh, yeah, you're gonna break something for sure. So, uh, but two wheel drive with the hubs unlocked in low range, you're okay. You're gonna be fine. Uh, so Dana twenty pretty durable uh actually really durable i know guys that run them in their sand drag jeeps and stuff like that and they they hold up to a lot of abuse um advanced adapters makes a uh heavy duty output for the 20 um and i recommend that if you're doing a lot of rock crawling i have one in my other scout that i'm slowly building now um but yeah and then in 1980 there was the Dana 300 and the scout Dana 300 is very special because it has the Texas bolt pattern. That's what it's referred to as is Texas. Cause the pattern of the flange is sort of looks like Texas. Uh, and then it has a gear, a bull gear on it that, uh, that, you know, the transmission has a bull gear and then it mates to the inside of the, uh, transfer case. It's not like on um, modern 300s or anything new where there's a splined output of the transmission and then the transfer case has the female splines. It's not It's not like that. It, this one actually has a gear hanging out there and it meshes with another gear inside the uh, transfer case. So that's why when you see guys trying to sell Dana 300s, do not buy one if it does not have the bull gear. They're very hard to come by very hard to come by um, for whatever reason guys pull the transfer case off don't pull the gear on the transmission sell the transfer case sell the transmission and then the bull gear doesn't work in a dana 20 and it doesn't work anywhere else and then the guy with the dana 300 with no bull gear can't use it because he needs a bull gear so if you see a dana 300 scout dana 300 for sale and it doesn't have the bull gear either talk them way down on the price or see if you can locate a gear before you try and buy the TKs. Um, and the Dana 300 has good low range, um, which I think that they had to develop. This is my theory. They had to develop um, a deeper low range because the axle gears were getting taller. Um, when you have 427s or 488s in a early scout, you can get away with a two to one low range. Um, but when you're running 307s, uh, two to one in the transfer case is downright scary. Uh, if you have an automatic, it's a little more controllable, but if you're running a close ratio four speed and so it's only four to one first gear and then a Dana 20, that's only two to one in low range and 307 axle gears, you are hauling ass. Like it is scary fast off-road so um, i believe that in the 80s uh, other manufacturers were on the same same boat uh, i believe they um wanted to uh you know increase the off-road capabilities but keep the highway gears and so they switched to the to deeper gears so the dana 300 has the 264 um and and uh, and that's a good ratio 
the the Dana three hundreds got robbed for a lot of Jeep projects because it's that Texas pattern was what all the Dana twenties used. And the Spicer eighteens had it too. Um, so if you can find a Scout three hundred, which is only in nineteen eighty, um, and it's got the bull gear, I recommend that you get it. Um, so yeah, um, so. I just rebuilt a Dana 300 recently. It was a Jeep one, um, but still the same internally other than the gear uh, drive part. But, um, you know, it made me think of a few things. The rebuilt kits that are out there on the market are pretty decent, pretty complete. Um, they're, you know, they're as, as good as they're going to get in this day and age because the last Dana 300 is almost 40 years old now. Um, you know, if it's a scout 300, it is, it'll be 40 years old next year. So, um, you know, they're getting pretty old. So rebuilt kits are getting, um, you know, a crown and a couple other places about the only place you can get them from, I mean, all the manufacturers out there, poly performance and Novak and all these places, a lot of what they sell is just crown. Um, so you know, keep that in mind when you're, when you're looking for stuff, but you definitely, if you're doing it, you want the rebuild kit that has the intermediate shaft, uh, just for the sake of having a fresh bearing surface. Uh, cause the intermediate shaft carries pretty much everything, uh, when you're in four wheel drive. So you definitely don't want to skimp on that. Um, you know, the other thing I see people do with, or, or the thing that I noticed when I was looking at this thing was um, neglect. Everyone forgets to put oil in the transfer case every, you know, couple of years. It needs to be changed. Uh, the other thing that's neglected a lot, um, and I see that with a lot of you guys, I'm looking at you, Midwest, that keeps their rigs in the garage for 10 months and then gets them out and goes to car shows and cruises to the hamburger joint is that you need to shift it in four-wheel drive uh, at least once a year. At least once a year, if not more. And I don't mean go wheeling. I don't mean take your garage queen to the sand dunes and you know bury it in a water hole. I just mean find a gravel road that's flat and straight. Lock in your hubs. Shift it into high range, drive quarter mile, stop, shift it into low range, drive it another quarter mile or turn around and drive it back or whatever. Go forwards and backwards uh, a couple times in four wheel drive high and four wheel drive low. Get the oil moving in the bearings. And um, because the Needle bearings, and this is this is not just for Dana 300s. I'm sorry if I jumped over that. This is for Dana 20s. This is for any of the transfer cases out there. Um, there's a set of needle bearings in the um, internals there that they just need to get spun. They need to get turned. They need to get oil on them. So at least once a year, shift into four-wheel drive. Not only will moving the oil around in the transfer case and cycling those bearings and stuff, 
it uh, helps with the front drive shaft, gets those U-joints turning, gets a grease cycling around, uh, and then same with the front axle. U-joints, they need to spin. They need you know, to turn every once in a while. The locking hubs need to turn, get the grease moving around in them. Uh, if anything, just to help fight corrosion from sitting. Because, yeah, there's moisture in the air, especially you guys out there in the Midwest and South. The air is so humid and just rots everything from the inside out. So keeping oil flinging around, um, it's really important that you do that at least, like I said, at least once a year. Um, and then the other super important thing is just servicing the the transmission um, or transfer case. I mean, the you know, if you guys don't know when the last time the oil got changed, uh, change it. <laughs> just because um and if you just did it last year and you've only put four thousand miles on it then then they're probably okay but um you know i would highly recommend um changing it if you don't know when the last time was and you know if you've got a leak or it's drippy or whatever um you might be low and that's really hard on the bearings and internals as well so um it's best bet to just pull that cover. I know the 300s have a drain plug. Um, I think, God, now I'm trying to remember. I, I don't even look at it anymore, but if the 20s have a drain plug or not, uh, some of them do, some of them don't. Uh, they're in different locations sometimes. Um, I like to just pull the inspection cover um, because... That helps me get a look at uh, what's going on in there. If there's a problem that's coming up, um, you know, if there's something coming apart, something's loose, something's extra sloppy, the broken teeth, um, you know, and and uh, and so then you can really get a good look in there and see how things move around. Uh, I know. A lot of people have complaints with the hard shifting. The Dana 20s, um, they're not the smoothest shifters out there. And I know some of it has to do with the, the sequence of the transmission, you know, when you're in drive or park or neutral or whatever. And um, it, it's tough to shift. And, but other, other than that, the um, hardness of shifting can be from um, the transmission or sorry transfer case needing to be rebuilt or the oil is old and heavy and sticky and gumming things up um, you know so look in there you know rebuild will help smoothen things out free things up um, give you a chance to to look at stuff in there if you do it yourself um, I wouldn't recommend doing it yourself unless you've got you know, some specialty tools and, um, and really a lot of patience. Um, but they're not that hard. It's kind of intimidating at first, but really it's, if you just pay attention and take it apart and put it back together how you're supposed to, it's, it's not as big of a deal, but, um, you know, uh, when bearings start to wear out and, uh, shafts can move around in there, the idler shaft, the, the gears move back and forth or, you know, the, the um, sliders don't engage the other gears like they're supposed to. Uh, or the sliders just don't want to slide because the 
uh, main shaft don't line up or or the oil again is just turned to sludge and they don't slide and uh, the same with the shift rails um, the detents get stuck if the detents don't get worked uh, up and down because there's a, a ball with a spring on it or I guess there would be a spring with a ball on it and if they don't get moved semi-regularly they can get stuck in the bore uh, and then um, then it won't shift or it's really hard to shift and I remember my old man had a 205 in his Dodge pickup and he used to kick that thing uh, because it would get bound up and stuck and and I never did figure out what the problem was with it but um, uh, you know you don't want to do that with your transfer case so it helps if you just use it every once in a while because um, it's that old saying about um, you know non-use sometimes is almost worse than overuse uh, you know I, a neighbor of ours had a 62 Impala that was absolutely gorgeous and he would hardly ever drive it hardly ever start it and um and then one time i was i begged him like come on ron just start it and back it out of the garage so it can you know see it in the sunlight and he, he's like oh okay went out there started it up had a hell of a time getting it started because he hadn't started it in so long backed it out of the garage and realized he had no brakes the uh master cylinder had deteriorated from sitting and had no brakes um and so you know, that was a good lesson for me about just letting things sit. And and I've seen that over and over again. Guys bring in internationals here that are like, you know, been sitting in a barn for 20 years and then nothing works. It's all deteriorated. And then, of course, everyone just assumes everything's going to be great when in, in reality, it's usually the opposite of great. So um, use that four-wheel drive uh, at least once a year. Move the stick around. Keep things going. Um there's a big debate on oil, what oil to put in it. Some guys are still swearing by, you know, GL1 mineral oil, if you can get it. Um, do not run anything higher than GL4. Uh, GL5 has additives that can eat um, certain metals. Uh, so GL4 is where we try to stop at. Um the consensus along among a lot of the people on the internets is the is 50 weight uh actually it's 50 weight synthetic engine oil uh it has some properties and abilities to withstand the gear meshing and and still give the bearings what they need um especially in a, like a dana 20 where it's just a straight through two-wheel drive output there's actually no no real gear wear in two-wheel drive it's just a coupler that's that's stuck together and and that's how power gets to the rear output um and then so when you're in low range you know that's when the gear mesh happens and most people aren't in low range that often but uh when we do them uh a lot of times we've started using synthetics um the redline mt85 uh, is what we started using at the uh, urging of uh, Mike Moore uh, from Scout Co. Um, we uh, put an NV4500 in a in a rig, and the dealer told us to use ATF Type Four or Number Four, Four Plus Four. It's the Mopar specific oil, ATF Plus Four. And I put that up to the to the internet, and I'm like, "What do you guys think?" And most people thought it sounded crazy, 
and probably not appropriate. And then a couple of people, including Mike, had suggested uh, Redline MT85. Uh, so that's what we've been running in transmissions and transfer cases now, manual transmissions uh, and transfer cases now for a while. Um, the only only caveat to that is like the gear drive, I'm sorry, chain drive transfer cases like the 241s. And so if you guys with LSs that are running 241Cs or 208s, um, you're going to want to stick to the ATF, uh, you know, that, that is recommended for those cases. Um, but otherwise the guys with the gear, gear drive stuff, um, you know, the synthetic MT85 is, uh, is good. We were running Valvoline, um, synchro mesh and some stuff for a while. It was good too, but I don't know. Um, the red line, I seem to like the red line is a little more, um, durable i guess and a lot of the race teams run it i pay a lot i pay a lot of attention to off-road racing because if there's anybody out there that's going to push things to the absolute limit it's off-road race uh you know companies teams whatever and if this particular race team is running you know a certain brand of oil and they're having failures, they're having heat problems, they're having whatever, you know, you probably want to avoid that. And then, you know, you look at other race teams that are successful and winning and doing well, you know, see what they're running. Um, a lot of race teams are running Redline oils. So um, we uh, are going to kind of follow that. Um, I spent a lot of time in the off-road racing world uh, back in my 20s. I was pretty involved. I went to a lot of different places pit crewed on a lot of different crews and was very active in that and i learned a lot uh learned a, a ton about failures and building things to withstand um you know the rigors of racing and so that's where i base a lot of my um theories and 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 uh, you know just ideas about how things should be done is based on the race industry because if you're not winning you're not making any money and you're not making any money racing anyways, but you know, no one likes a loser. So you look at who's in first and who's winning and you're going to see, you know, good products, name brand stuff, um, things that work. Cause if it's not working, they're not using it. Just, uh, you know, keep that in mind when you're thinking of stuff as well. Um, so yeah, Mm, what else is there about transfer cases? Um, oh, the vents. Make sure you run the a vent. Um, you know, if you're doing any kind of wheeling, mudding, off-road, you're going to want to extend that vent out. Uh, you don't want it filling up with water all the time. The transfer cases are surprisingly liquid tight, uh, obviously, because they're, you know, half full of oil and the yolks are below the oil line. Um, but you know, you're going to want to run that vent up high. Uh, this truck we just did with the 4500 and the Dana 300, we uh, joined the vents together and then ran them both up, ran it up, uh, you know, into the above the firewall, right up by the hood latch on the Scout 2. Uh, that should keep, you know, transmission and transfer case safe from ingesting any, you know, liquids for quite a while. So, anyway. 
hopefully you guys learned something. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe the next one I'll do talk about transmissions and stuff like that, you know, for if you guys need help sleeping. So anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Dan from Binder Boneyard. Until next time.